This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. This is a podcast hosted by the Waikato Environment Centre, or Go Eco. Listen in each week to hear the aspirations and mahi of the Go Eco Waikato team. We are a voice for the environment, a centre for learning and a catalyst for change. If you're looking to change the world through climate action, decolonisation or systemic change, this is the podcast for you. Last week, Anna shared some of the restoration education opportunities coming up based here in the Waikato, but available online too. This includes a four-week seminar series about wetlands, which starts on February the 16th. To find out more, head to earthdiverse.org.nz and search for Ecological Restoration. You can listen to our most recent episodes by searching for Hepuna Kōrero on your favourite podcast platform, or you can find a link in the podcast tab at the top of the GoEco Waikato Facebook page. This week we marked World Wetlands Day on February the 2nd. With that, the call to action to invest financial, human and political capital to save the world's wetlands from disappearing and to restore those that we have degraded. To talk to us about wetlands, why they are so important and why you should get into one is Karen Denya. Karen is a professional ecologist who runs her own consulting company but is perhaps best known for her role as the National Wetland Trust Executive Officer since 2008. In her role with the National Wetland Trust, she's all about getting people into wetlands and she spends a fair bit of her time doing just that. In fact, Karen spends so much time in wetlands, her brother calls her Shrek. Kia ora, good morning. Kia ora, Kelly. Morena. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, it's Happy World Wetland Day for uh, the 2nd of February. It's great to see so many people uh, become more aware of Wetland Day and particularly as a result of uh, it being recognised uh, each year. Yes, absolutely. I think it's just been adopted by the UN as an official event as well. Uh, it, it was established by the Ramsar Convention, um, but the UN has adopted it as their formal event for celebrating wetlands as well, which is great can only be helpful. Uh, so where's your favourite wetland and why? Oh gosh, that's a tricky question. <laughs> so uh, if we're thinking New Zealand, <laughs> we're limiting ourselves to New Zealand at the moment. Um, while we've only got 10% of our wetlands left, we do have some amazing wetlands. And um, so I'm in the North Island and we've got, we've got geothermal wetlands, we've got coastal wetlands, we've got huge peatlands. But I think if I'm honest and I think about the ones that really sort of struck me while I was there. It would, it would be those West Coast ones, the Mangarako wetland um, up near Golden Bay is, is an incredibly beautiful setting with, with mountains behind you and it's um, it's a really peaceful, lovely spot. And then you've got the Okarito Lagoon with the Kotuku, the white herons, and one of my favourites is, is the wetlands where you've still got these uh, the towering kahikatea that are still wet. We're down to 2% of our kahikatea forest and the ones that are wet even rarer and and they're so special and wonderful to walk through i think ship creek is probably one of the easier places to go and see that so yeah i guess i'd have to think of some of those south island ones really really quite special and and you did allude to it there but uh a wetland can encompass uh many different uh landscapes so can you give is there a definition for what is included as a wetland 
So there's, um, there's the Ramsar definition and then there's um, New Zealand has its own definition in the Resource Management Act and it is quite broad but it's essentially um, we've got sort of wet land so it's shallow water areas and, and lake margins and estuaries where the, the soils and, and the hydrology is such that the species that are adapted to live there are the sort of species that can cope with permanent or in, in, intermittent wet systems so they can cope with wet feet or, or they need in fact, um, wet areas. So it's really those sort of those shallower parts of our um, of our landscape uh, um, that are underwater part or all of the year. Mm. And uh, in climate, as we're uh, experiencing now, or the weather that we're experiencing now, um, does that change uh, your definition of a wetland? It's, it's seriously affecting um, a number of wetlands um, here in the Waikato. They've heard Lake Naroto is currently closed to the public because of algal blooms. Um, it's, it's no longer safe to actually touch the water there, let alone sort of take food from it. Um, and fish and game uh, ha- have got a very sad job of collecting a lot of dead and dying um, waterfowl, including native, native cormorants, um, herons. So the the combination, I guess, of the pollution um, that, that we flush from our land into wetlands because at the bottom of the catchment and these increasing sort of lengths of, of drought and hot weather is combining to create some pretty sad conditions in those wetlands. Um, mm. But equally, you know, our, our wetlands are so precious in terms of helping us combat climate change. So, for instance, um, the, the, it's wetlands that are storing carbon permanently. So we, we think about our forests as being places that carbon gets stored. But those forest trees will eventually die and the carbon will be released. The carbon that we're burning that's creating this climate problem has come from wetlands. It's, it's coal and gas formed underneath the big peat bogs and those bogs like the ones in the Hauraki Plains the Kapuatai Peat Dome for instance are places where we are still storing carbon but when we drain those um, big bogs we actually release carbon so we need to be thinking more about holding on to the ones we've got and even re-wetting areas that are becoming unsustainable for farming on those peat plains in the Hauraki Mm, and re-wetting the wetlands is something I definitely heard a lot, uh, particularly on social media uh, this week. So it's awesome that World Wetlands Day has, uh, you know, ha- kept that conversation alive online. Um, tell us it's a bit about yourself and what you do with the Wetland Trust. Uh, okay, so as, as you said at the beginning, um, I'm a professional ecologist, and part of my um, one of my contracts, which has been running since 2008, is to run the National Wetland Trust. So I'm the only um, employee that the trust has as a contractor and it's just a part-time two days a week role um, but it's um, it's really helping the trust to, to achieve its, its aims to have you know that regular presence and we do all sorts of things um, nationwide so we're, inter- we're a national trust we do have some international links as well um, with Forest and Bird we're the representatives in New Zealand for for the Ramsar Convention in terms of um, all of the wetland uh, communication, advocacy, education, participation sort of programs. Uh, we run national events every two years when we're not um, yeah. <laughs> struck down by COVID yeah. uh, rules. Uh, we do a lot of publications and advocacy work. Um, one of our flagship projects that I'm running is uh, a restoration of a peat lake system in the Waikato at, near Ahaupo called Rotopiko. Um, with the blessing of Ngāti Apakura and, and their support, significant support, and community volunteers. We're sort of developing uh, what we're hoping will one day be the National Wetland Centre for New Zealand, a place where people can go and learn about all, all of the different types of wetlands in New Zealand. 
but also go and see one that, that's um, been restored substantially. So it's got a pest fence, it's got um, walkways and interpretation panels. Uh, we put in a new floating pontoon, which is pretty cool, and we've got this um, interactive discovery trail for families mm. to go around, and, and, and um, there's boxes with, with games and, um, and information and QR code links, so great for families. You can do as much or as little as you want. It's a nice, easy flat walk, so mums just love it. Families love it to um, take the push chair around. Mm. And I should remind people that's just uh, south of Ohopo if you want to go check that out. And, and again, it is a really good example. You've got a, a lake to walk around and there's also a bit of a bush to walk around and heaps of education uh, in there and throughout. Um, any idea about uh, the progress on the Wetland Discovery Centre or when that may become a, um, a reality for us? So, like everything, it's all funding dependent. Um, we've certainly achieved a lot at the site. Um, when we um, got, first got involved, it's Waipa District Council Reserve Land and Dock uh, Wildlife Management Reserve. And the District Council actually invited us to, to use the site to build the Wetland Centre, which was really amazing support from the council there. And since then, we've sort of chipped away at it as funding has allowed. We've, we've got some substantial funding from the uh, Waikato River Cleanup Trust and Botteries and um, Waikato Catchment and Ecological Enhancement Trust and councils, etc., which enabled us to put in the pest fence a lot of boardwalks, um, other infrastructure. So, yeah, when we took over, there was kind of a muddy entrance, just a farm gate on the road, no signage, and um, it was used by a handful of duck shooters, and that was about it. So now we've got lots of people coming in and, and walking around and doing the activity trails and, and school groups who want to come out, community groups who want to get involved in the planting and other restoration works. Rotary from Te Aramutu are quite involved in it. So it's, um, it's, it's really changed from, from when mm. we started, but we do still need to crack the, uh, the big dollars to get a building in there for, um, for the indoor interpretation stuff. But we're working towards it. Any support, welcome. Mm. And uh, I'll, I'll ask you to share your social media um, t- uh, tags at the end of our interview so people can follow for updates and also find out ways that they can be involved over time. Now, this week you released the cover image of a new book called Life in the Shallows. Tell us more. Sure. So um, we've partnered up with Massey University Press, who were really keen to write a book about New Zealand wetlands. Um, there was a really excellent one written by Janet Hunt a few years earlier that sort of describes all the wetland types, etc. So we thought, well, we, we don't um, want to be looking at repeating that. But what we thought would be really neat would be to profile the wetland scientists who are out there doing really good work, and they could be from um, universities or Crown Research Agencies, EU authorities, uh, research from DOC, from a number of agencies and, and private consulting companies as well, and, and sort of write about the human side of, of doing research for wetlands as well as their findings, so sort of bringing in that, that, that human story. And so we've picked 17 scientists, and there were so many more we could have chosen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are at 300-page li- limit as it was, so uh, it was quite hard to select down to that 17. But we chose them basically on... on showcasing a range of, um, you know, a diversity of, of researchers and a diversity of ecosystem types and a diversity of topics. So we've got things like environmental DNA, we've got um, wetlands in Antarctica, research into those, um, recovery of wetlands after fire, so a whole, mm-hmm. you know, smorgasbord, I guess, of, of topics in there. And it was just really fun sort of talking to, interviewing these scientists and getting some of their their aha moments or their hairy field stories and some of the funny moments, the lighter moments of the field work 
Uh, so it's been a lot of fun to pull that together and we're looking forward to that being in bookshops um, around July. Awesome, awesome. So that's Life in the Shallows. Look out for that uh, from July onwards. So if we were to break it down and summarise, I mean, why are wetlands so important and probably underrated for a long time? They were just drained and considered a bit of a wasteland. So why are they so important? Yeah, um, you know, I guess from a Western perspective, when we think about words like swamp, bog, mire, they have really negative connotations. Mm. Um, you know, talk about, you know, drain the swamp, you know, Donald Trump's yeah. drain the swamp <laughs> and, and, you know, mired in controversy and bogged down with work. And we've, we've just given wetlands in a Western culture sense quite a negative um, connotation, which makes it easy to sort of just destroy them because, you know, the the things that are just getting away, they're smelly, they're hard to get through, um, you know, you can't walk through them, they're no use to anybody unless you drain them and turn them into pasture. Um, Māori, of course, have a completely different um, view of, of wetlands and, you know, revered them as, as places of, um, they could get resources from, important for food, for medicines, for construction, places of great spiritual significance. Um, you know, Māori understood the fundamentals of ecosystems about you know that they're all interconnected that water is the essence of life so i think it, it's it's the western side that's really been um, dragging the chain but we are finally catching up and realizing actually uh those are really important systems and shame we got rid of so many of them because now we realize hey these things actually purify water they store carbon they protect us from from flood surges of uh, floods and, and storm surges with the coast um you know, they, we, we've thought about the biodiversity for a few years, but we're starting to realise all these other things that wetlands mm. do for us. And in fact, dollar values have been put on some of these, um, and it's valued at ten times more than, say, pasture or plantation forestry. The, the value of the things that wetlands do for us. So we need to be thinking about them differently uh, because they do have so much to offer us, and they have been so undervalued and degraded over time. What do you need yeah. from us to help protect and restore what's left? That ten percent. So I guess there's things people can do individually. One is, you know, go and visit wetlands, learn about them, enjoy them, tell other people about them, and, and just, you know, we, we're great in New Zealand at, at going to the beach, going up to the mountains, you know, we love those ecosystems. There's a lot of wetland trails now, a lot of boardwalks that have gone in to make those wetlands accessible. And so we'd encourage people to go onto the Wetland Trust website and look at our wetlands to visit directories and, and you know, build them into your travels or go and see your local ones. Um, get involved in a local project. Contact us if you don't know about any um, that, that you want to get involved in. We can we can probably help put you in contact with people. Um, and, and just you know, take lots of photos, put them on Instagram, mm. just you know, share the love basically about you know these wonderfully serene, relaxing places. Um, obviously, join the National Wetland Trust. We'd really value your support, and that makes a big difference to to our um, sustainability as well. Um, something that's, that's just come out is um, Forest and Bird have released a charter called, um, or a campaign called Every Wetland Counts, and they're calling on the government to, um, to undertake a series of um, six steps to make our, um, to, to you know, help with the climate change, but also to protect wetlands. And there's a link on the Wetland Trust web, uh, Facebook, sorry, to, that you can find that. Um, that little campaign and you can add your voice to that you can sign it you can make a personal statement to um, the government mm. but we also need the, the agencies to, um, to step up more as well so the government has released some really strong wetland rules the wetland trust has done research um, into why we've lost our wetlands and we found a lot of it is there were rules in place 
they just weren't um, adhered to. They were, you know, either not landowners or, or land managers weren't aware of them or chose to ignore them. And there wasn't much follow-up from councils we found where wetlands had been drained. So we really need more enforcement, more monitoring and education around you know, why we need to protect these wetlands and help landowners look after them, help landowners find alternative ways to increase productivity of their land rather than draining more wetlands. Mm. And we've actually been sort of looking at overseas, there's um, quite a push towards a system called polluticulture, which is to re-wet formerly drained peatlands and actually grow crops that you can then harvest. So Aropo is, is one of the ones that's um, a dozen species overseas is deliberately grown and harvested and used for a range of building products and so there's there's certainly scope in New Zealand for us to look at doing that it's, it's early days um, but we're quite keen to explore that more so and I think scope. the other thing that we really need to do is, is learn from iwi um, you know, they've lived with the wetlands here for, for many many generations they've learnt how to, how to live sustainably with wetlands they have lots of little useful tips of how they would manage things so for instance when they were harvesting watercress um, they would break off a little piece let it float downstream to repopulate so that they're taking a piece but they're also sort of helping create a new population of it and there'll be lots of useful little tips like that that we could all learn from I think. Yes it's certainly it is that indigenous knowledge um, about how to live with the wetlands and to really value them um, but you've also mentioned lots of opportunities for us to help advocate uh, for wetlands um, and a campaign from Forest and Bird, uh, which is awesome. Uh, every wetland does count. Um, this is a long weekend that we're heading into. Um, where can you recommend that we visit here in the Wakato this weekend? Oh, right, yeah. Um, we'll, we'll go to our website and have a look online at the ones that, that we suggest there. Um, make Rotopiko Pico definitely on, you, on your list. You can walk around that, um, you know, in sort of half an hour or you can spend more time there. So it's a nice, easy, right off the highway, right off that highway um, there. So that's an easy one to get to and go and walk around. Um, further afield, you've got the first of Thames, which is uh, where our wading birds uh, um, love to go. So there's birds there that fly in from places like Alaska and mm. China, and uh, they do these long-haul, like seven-day on-the-wing straight flights to New Zealand, and um, and they spend their summer here feeding up on the, on the rich mud flats in the Futa Thames, so that's a great place to go. There's a, a bird centre there that you can go and learn about those those long-haul flying wading birds. Um, and some pretty cool ones that you might not think about necessarily and, and maybe just outside the, some might be outside the Waikato, but uh, those geothermal wetlands, Waimangu and Waitapu, um, just, you know, expanding the, our, our vision of what a wetland is. Mm, mm. So again, uh, so the link to your website and social media. Absolutely. Oh, could you could you please tell us that your website and social media? Sorry, there's a little bit linked there. So um, if you just go to the National Wetland Trust Facebook, and there'll be links to our other social media through there. Awesome. Thank you, Karen, so much for joining us today and for your work um, in advocating for wetlands. It's something that I hope more people can get out and enjoy. And then as soon as you're out there enjoying it, you'll uh, certainly understand why it's so important to uh, to protect uh, what we have remaining and hopefully restore so we can re-wet uh, re-wetlands as well. Uh, thank you for your time this morning. Thank you, Kelly. 
te whakaronga mai, koe hi puna kōrero. Um, we were just speaking with Karen Denya, ecologist and wetland enthusiast about why wetlands are important, what we can do to protect them and an encouragement to get out and enjoy them. February is also Bike Month. Uh, our team are participating in the Aotearoa Bike Challenge and rediscovering the joys and benefits of riding a bike. Well, the rest of our team is. I still have a puncture, which I will get on to today, uh, but definitely recommend heading to lovetoride.net forward slash NZ. It's not too late to join that challenge and heaps of spot prizes available too. And a little competition with your workmates never goes astray. Our Goeco Bike Hub is open 10 to 12pm every Thursday and Saturday. You can drop in and learn how to fix or maintain your push bike for free. Although koha is appreciated, we've got the tools, some parts and the skills to show you how it's done, whether it's a puncture like I have, faulty brakes or gears that get stuck. We also accept donations of bikes which we fix, rebuild and rehome. Now if you are new to cycling or just aren't too confident um, and you would like more support to uh, get out on the roads, please get in touch with the um, Settlement Centre on Boundary Road, HMS Trust or Maya, um, who can tell you when the next adult cycle training session is. Now throughout February we're also hosting a series of free workshops which will give you the skills you need to not only fix and service your own bike but teach friends and family how to do it too. It's perfect for anyone interested in volunteering in our bike hub each week, fortnight or month. Over the three weeks, you'll be learning the ABCs of bikes. On the 12th of February, we'll look at air. We look at puncture repairs, how to get the wheel off the bike and how to separate the tyre from the rim. We'll look at how to identify the hole in the tube, patch it properly and reassemble and test. On the 19th of February, it's brakes. We look at the different types of cable-based brake systems, their maintenance, adjustment and things to watch out for to ensure your brakes are working for maximum effect. Very, very important. On the 26th of February, we're on chains. This workshop involves what to look out for in chain movement and how to adjust the derailleur. It covers when and why you should change your chain and how to do it. There are limited spaces available at these workshops as we are working in the red light and safest COVID practices that we can. So please register now by emailing simon at goeco.org.nz. So you're welcome to drop into the Bike Hub every Thursday or Saturday morning. But if you'd like to take part in our ABC workshops, either A, B or C or all three, uh, please email simon at goeco.org.nz. Now we know January and the back to school time is a particularly hard time for whānau so if you are in need of food or any other essential item right now please go to heretohelpyou.nz heretohelpyou.nz or call 0800 568 273. The details are also on the Go Eco Food Rescue Facebook page. And we saved over 29,000 kilos of food, uh, edible food in January, which is pretty awesome. 
Kei te whakarungao mai, koe ki hipuna kōrero, a show hosted by Go Eco Wakato. Go Eco, the Wakato Environment Centre, are a not-for-profit environment hub with biodiversity, kai, transport and enterprise projects. You can find out more about our work on social media, Go Eco Wakato, by heading to our website, goeco.org.nz, or better yet, popping in to 188 Commerce Street, Frankton, Kirikirero, Hamilton, 10 till 4, Monday to Friday. Join us again next week for a new episode, but make sure you follow or subscribe to Hupuna Kōrero on your favourite podcast platform so you don't miss an episode. Kia pai, tōra, i hoa mā.
Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.